Hello, everyone. On our last episode of Shoulder of Orion, uh, we discussed a very particular topic as it relates to the comparison between replicants and African-American slaves. There was some confusion on that. Uh, we had some feedback about that. And I was confused on the topic, which you could hear. We, Dan and I both kind of circled each other. We weren't really understanding. And we wanted to take just a brief moment so that I could better understand Dan's perspective and that our listeners could as well. So I'm going to pass it off to Dan. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Yeah, I just want this is going to be very brief. I'm not going to rehash this discussion, um, but I just wanted to say that um, I brought up this comparison, not because I was trying to compare replicants to slaves in a way of um, not realizing the differences between them in terms of one being created and one being born. What I was trying to bring up was something where we're treating these things, these replicants in a really bad way in the future, right? Abuse and all that. And I was trying to bring up a historical example of when humans have also done that. And, and I thought of the worst example that I could, which is to me is American slavery. So the comparison I was making in a, was in our treatment of replicants versus our treatment of American slaves, which is one of the most atrocious things of our history. So just to clarify, that's the comparison I was trying to make. Based on a couple of complaints that we got, it became very clear that my message did not come across in the right way, that I offended a couple of people, and that I didn't choose my words carefully. So, again, you can go listen to that conversation and hopefully listen to this explanation. But I'm going to stop now. And beyond that, I want to move forward and apologize to any listener who listened to that conversation and was offended. I'm very sorry. Um, I should have been more careful. I should have chosen my words more carefully. And in the future, when it comes to controversial topics, which have come up before on this show, because it's just something that happens and it's, we, we go over deep, dark stuff. Sometimes, um, I will be more careful about the sensibilities of everyone and, and remember, you know, the variety of audience that I'm talking to and really try and think a little more carefully about what I'm saying. So I'm very sorry. And I just wanted to say that to everyone. Are you looking to stand out from the crowd? Are you looking for exclusive content you can't get anywhere else? Sign up for the Shoulder of Orion Patreon at bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support and show the world you're something special. you like our owl? How many questions does it usually take to spot? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30, cross-referenced. Fiery the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their shores, burning with the fires of Hawk. Your new models are happy scraping the shit. you've never seen a miracle. You imagined it was you. Oh, you did. You did. We all wish it was us. That's why we believe. All the best memories are hers.
Welcome to Shoal of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green, Dan Ferlito. And we are back tonight to with another entry in our Dissecting Angels discussion, where we're talking about replicants and who they are, what they are, how they're made, if they're assembled, if they're grown, and everything in between. And on the first entry into this mini-series, we discussed replicants in the context of Blade Runner, the original film uh, that was set in 2019, which released in 1982. Now we're going to have that a similar conversation brought into 2049 as replicants have progressed, their technology has progressed, and what that means for who they are and what, what they might become and their own agency and a varying amount of things. So I'm happy to be back discussing it. Indeed. Yeah, welcome back, everybody, to this uh, freewheeling conversation. <laughs> Wherever it may wheel, we're going there. Uh, no, I've, I'm, I'm really excited about this because I feel like in the last episode, there were so many moments where we started getting into 2049 and they were like, oh, we're going to pull back. We're going to focus on 2019. And there's a good reason for that, which is 2049, in a lot of ways, is a meditation on what being a Nexus model replicant is. Like, it is, it is, a, it is a, I mean, the first one is too, but 2049, a lot has happened right? Um, in terms of the development of these, of these replicants. And we see that most saliently in the pre in the, in the three short films that were released, which give us a lot of background, right? You have the end of the Nexus six model, right? And Dan is going to give us a little rundown on some of the different Nexuses shortly after that. You have the Nexus seven, who we all know and love. And then you have the Nexus eights and the Nexus eight is where things start to really, uh, collapse on themselves in terms of society and society's relationship with these replicants and how the replicants view themselves and their ideas of liberation. And you have the the movement of, you know, the human supremacists and you have the EMP blast on the West Coast that causes the blackout. And you have all of these enormous things coming across because replicants are coming together and insurrecting in a way. And humans are saying, no, you can't do that, right? And then you have this crazy period after that before the events of 2049 start where humanity starts realizing, well, we do still need these, you know, outside of just the black market, which by the way, in the comic books is explored quite a bit. So, and that's where Wallace comes in with the, with his Nexus nines and their inhibitors and all these other things as well. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into 2049 that builds on what we learned in the previous film about replicants. And I think that, uh, I'm excited to unpack some of those with you guys tonight. And I, I think it says a lot about the events of 2049. If you see it through the eyes of the replicants that it, features for sure and you know what's interesting about this this conversation in light of 2049 or in the context of 2049 i remember um blackout and there's a whole period in the blackout anime where they show they're on kalantha and um you see the the soldiers or whatever in the field but there's one moment where one of them looks like it's ripped apart and there's wiring, but it's not wiring because it's a replicant. But even in, but then later on in Blackout, you see humans torturing a replicant girl because she's a replicant. She's not real. You're not human. You know, you, you hear all the, the banter. Something tells me that there was still wiring in them. I don't know. Like they weren't, like when they pulled them apart, they just didn't look, they looked more similar to Bishop from Aliens then they like that's a big it's almost like in a way Denis and the writers retconned 
replicants a little bit. We're not quite sure what's underneath there. It might mostly be organic. It probably is, but it could be some tech. I don't know. What what scene are we talking about? I do not remember this like artificial interior. Thing. In Calantha, when they're fighting on the battlefield, there's it's only like ten seconds. Yeah, it's brief. But someone yeah. approaches it I, I know, I know and he the looks at the helmet about, yeah. and he was like, oh, they're a replicant. They can see something in the neck is all, it's just different. It's not, it's obviously not human looking fully. Whoa. Okay. And I have an idea. I have an idea of why that is. Okay. Actually, Jamie. Sure. So the Nexus 8s were, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. So the Nexus 8s were the first model generation, which I was corrected on. Dan, thank you very much in the last episode for correcting me. The Nexus 8s were the ones who had the ocular implant with the barcode, right? That was the, the not barcode, the serial number on their eyes, which we see most, you know, clearly in the beginning with the alpha model Nexus 8. That is the unforgettable Sapper Morton, right? Um, there was a push among manufacturers of replicants to make them more easily distinguishable from humans because of the events of the first film and because of murders committed by Nexus 6 models who were escaping off world and going back to Earth and all these things. So in a way, what I think was happening was the Nexus 8s were sort of the way of where, where Tyrell's push to a hand. This is, those are manufactured by Wallace, Wallace at that point. The 8s were? Wallace's no, yes. I thought the yeah, 8s cause... were the last model of Tyrell before it went under. Oh, man. I got to come in here and regulate on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Actually, we should we should hand it off to Dan to give us a little rundown of, of this timeline in a second. But, but before we do, what, my, my reasoning, Jamie, because I thought about that scene too, I think that the 8s were specifically engineered to be more easily distinguishable from, from humans because of security lapses and things that That's happened with the Nexus 6. But we'll okay. come back to it. I Dan, also... you want to give us a little rundown here? Yeah, but real quick, and this isn't to be like, actually, but Jamie blew my mind when he said something about Bishop and like really, and I was like, wait, what? Did I just miss an entire freaking thing that I've never seen before? And I literally pulled up that scene in Blackout during Calantha, and there's no such thing, which is interesting because Jamie's memory is telling him that. Well, let me see. But I'm looking at it. and see what I saw. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead while we'll go on talking. I have the director's cut, actually, of that, so I'm going to go look (laughs) that up. Here we go. Patrick's like, I have the final cut. And actually, a- they CGI'd this one. See, they added wires to yeah, the neck. So Jamie and Dan actually. are both right. <laughs> um, I remember I think, it like that too, though. That's weird. You know what? I don't want to imply what Jamie is re- remembering or what he thinks. So I'm just going to let him watch it and he can come back into this and tell us. Because I okay. just watched it. And the one thing you see for sure is an eye being pulled down and seeing the uh, serial number. So you see that. But yeah, I just wanted to do the technical part real quick because there's online you see discussion all the time and people are like well but why didn't the why didn't Roy Batty's memory implants like do such and such and I'm like well because he's a Nexus 6 and there are no memory implants in Nexus 6s that's the whole point so really quick Nexus 6s are this new iteration we don't really know if there was a Nexus 5 or exactly what replicants looked like before that but we know that they were not as human looking and that there were probably mechanical rubber parts, something like that. I always use the Terminator example of rubber skin and all that. Like that's how I like to think of it, but we really don't have any clarification on that. So Nexus sixes built by Tyrell in 2019 or a little bit before that are this first iteration that are indistinguishable from humans. They're stronger, they're smarter, they're faster, etc. Um, and they have, you know, stunted emotion, whatever. But 
but they don't have memory implants. This is what makes Batty and Pris and all of them so volatile. And it's what we love about those performances because they have these weird emotional tics, right? And like the way they respond to things, it's almost like they're they're like autistic or on a spectrum or something. Cause you're like, wait, why is he smiling? And why is he crying? And it doesn't make sense. And it was a great interpretation by the actors to show that their emotions are not well developed and they're only a few years old, but they're full adults and dealing with all this intense stuff. So famously when Tyrell built Rachel, he did two things. He did not build, well, we find out in the later film, he did not put a time limit on her. So she did not have a, a termination date and she had memory implants. So we find out later, which is a little bit of retconning that doesn't contradict anything that Rachel's a Nexus seven. Now, without getting into a Decker rep debate, if Deckard was a replicant, which my opinion on this is irrelevant, so I'm not going to leave it here, but it is an if, he was a Nexus 7 because he also had memories of a wife and of all this stuff, you know, we see from other versions of the film. So would you step out for a few moments, Rachel? Thank you. She's a replicant, isn't she? I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot one? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30 cross-referenced. It took more than 100 for Rachel, didn't it? She doesn't know. She's beginning to suspect, I think. Suspect? How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. Rachel is an experiment, nothing more. We began to recognize in them strange obsession. After all, they are emotionally inexperienced with only a few years in which to store up the experiences which you and I take for granted. If we gift them with the past, we create a cushion or pillow for their emotions, and consequently, we can control them better. Memories. You're talking about memories. Rachel is an Nexus 7 for sure. She's an experiment. And if Deckard is a replicant, he's an Nexus 7 as well. A Nexus 7 was really never meant for mass production. It's just what it was. It's an, basically think of it as an interim in between the Nexus 6, which does not have implants and has a definite lifespan, and the Nexus 8, which had memory implants, does not have a lifespan and had a serial number in the eye to be able to easily recognize, so authorities could recognize them and you know capture them, keep track of them. If they escape, they have, they have a thing, they can find them. Nexus 9s, which are introduced in one of the shorts with Wallace in them when he brings them to the magistrate, and replicants are illegal, but he's trying to bring production back on, are basically identical to Nexus 8s, except they're programmed to obey. And this is where 2049 brings in, bridges the gap between the Voight comp machine, which was designed to recognize Nexus 6s because they had no other way really of telling that someone was a replicant. And the baseline test, which comes in, which is not, they know they're replicants, right? When K does his baseline test at the beginning, it's not, he's not being tested for being a replicant. He's being tested if he's staying on his programming. And I think the word programming here is easy to confuse for like an artificial computer type programming. And I don't think that's what it intends. It's programming the way you program a dog, right? Through behavioral, through whatever. We don't know. Exactly it's almost like you're testing his emotional psychology. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we don't know how that programming is done, but we do know that this baseline test is done on the regular to make sure that replicants, but especially a Blade Runner replicant Nexus 9 is staying within his protocol. So I hope that was concise. That is the basic difference between six, seven, eight. And but nine. I thought that Cave's line is, does have a, a lifespan of four years or whatever. Are you sure? No, Nexus yeah. 9s have an open-ended lifespan. Yeah. Nexus 6s are the only ones that have a closed um, lifespan. Hmm. Before we move on, what did you notice this time in the blackout, Jamie? I'm curious. Well, you're right. Um, I it, there wasn't. I was remembering things from the neck, and there wasn't there. I don't. I was just misremembering it. I think um, it's his. But obviously, they pull, they pull the neck down. But there's one moment in the, in the, whatever the little film where there's replicants hanging on, um, light whatever, or something. And yeah, but and their heads are all, they look weird. Like things are coming out of their head. I, um, which I don't know what that could be. Um. I just got the sense that they were a little bit different, that there was a little, I'm, I'm not even saying it was tech. It just felt like it was tech. Yeah. Well, maybe that's intentional. I think what you're getting is the, that particular style of animation, which I almost, I kind of like, I, I think of as like dirty animation, meaning there's, it's just like, it's very mm-hmm. gritty. Like when you well, see, especially the lynching like a, sequence is super gritty, right? This, yeah, there's like ink blots all over yeah. the place. Yeah. And so is Calantha. When you yeah. look at the the matte paintings on Calantha, they look like a cart like an anime from like the nineteen seventies. Yeah. And that's a very deliberate choice. And I think that it, man, Patrick, you gotta save me here. Uh <laughs> the director is the guy from Cowboy Bebop. Oh, I do not remember what his name is. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'll look, I'll look, I'm like, come on, nerdville. Save it is me. I know I'm usually um, nerdy, but it's it the is the same guy uh, who's 11 o'clock. in charge of Black Lotus. Right, yeah. right. Same guy. So I don't know. We should probably know his name is the point. Yeah, we should. Isn't it Hideo something? We're going to, no. Oh, we'll man, say it's Kojima. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say Miyazaki. Miyazawa. <laughs> we just throwing out all the Japanese <laughs> names we know. We're going to get from. Okay. Chiro Honda. Villanueve. Yeah, Villanueve. I think it was Villanueve, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah. No, you, I think the Anyways. animation style might be what was imprinting on me from that sequence too, because it gets rough in those two sequences. I, I, mm-hmm. I want to actually quickly, um, if it's okay, go to what you were saying before. Shinshiro Watanabe. Watanabe, that's right. But so not, is not he Ken also Watanabe. The, and is he also the animator or is he just the director? Uh, director. Okay. I mean, there's like fucking 700 animators on the Probably things. a lot of animators, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so the Nexus 8, the, the Nexus 8 is, is like the model that I think is most pivotal for many reasons, not the least of which is that that's when the database is introduced, right? So the registration database, which, which we actually reference um, somewhat at the beginning of the show, uh, that was like a huge issue because that was what basically, what that, that, that was like human society enacting the strictest possible protocols upon, the, upon this mass-produced model of Nexus, right? They were the warriors, they were the labor in the mining colonies, and they were registered like products when you put a warranty in the computer, and they were trackable, and you and they could not get away. And it's horrible because, you know, they were also very advanced, like the Nexus 8 models were cutting edge technology, you know, if you want to say technology, they were open ended lifespans, like you said, they were so human in so many ways, they didn't have the same, they didn't have the, the behavioral inhibitors that the Nexus 9s had, they had memories, they had they had all of this inner life. They were they were as human, quote unquote, as Nexus models can get, I think, other than, than maybe the Nexus Seven. Um, and yet the Nexus Eight was point. right. So the Nexus Eight was like was was simultaneously 
the most like us of any of them because they had as close to free will as a Nexus model can have. They didn't have a termination date. They were, uh, you know, indistinguishable other than the physical, you know, eyeball thing. Um, and yet they were so tightly controlled, which is why the resistance movement happened and, and why, you know, you had the liberation stuff and you had the EMP going off. But um, I think the Nexus 8 model is like so fascinating for many reasons. And another reason being that in 2049, we see the remnants of the Nexus 8s and, and we see, you know, with Frida and everybody, what, what's been going on behind the scenes. While these Nexus 9s were coming in under the radar, the Nexus 8s were aging and they were still there fighting this resistance fight. And the Nexus 8s are the ones bringing the Nexus 9s into the new dawn. The Nexus 8s were the ones waking up the Nexus 9s with the behavioral inhibitors. I'm 100% I'm going to be screwing up Nexus numbers because I'm saying Nexus so much that I'm forgetting which one I'm saying. But my point being that the, I think I got this right. The Nexus 8s are the freedom fighters of the old generation. And it's up to them. Just like, you know, I mean, like when I was a kid, you know, my parents were both hippies when, you know, before I was born. And when I was a kid, you know, my mom would tell me stories about protests that she went to and things and, you know, and occupations at college and, and you know, this stuff. And, and I used to like listen to this and, uh, as these like old tales and think like, wow, that's just amazing. And then, and then now here I am going to protests and shit, you know, and I'm thinking like, this is because I was raised to be a fighter like i was raised by i was raised by fighters right raised by wolves and i think that there's a a parallel there <laughs> there's a parallel there in a much more you know d direct way um with with replicants and this generational turnover because before this we'd only seen replicant generations as um being sort of unaware of each other right like rachel had no idea she was different she didn't even know she was a replicant right um, right. And she didn't know how, what a different experience she had to the Nexus Sixes. There's no indication of that. She didn't know any of it. Um, and they, the Nexus Eights are at once very aware of, of who they are and very aware that they need to stop that. And that is something that they need to break free from it. And that's something that's very powerful. Yeah, they have, they have almost, they've weaponized their own agency. Yeah. Um, it's and and that's obviously dangerous to the people who created them. Like. Oh no, we have a problem on their hand. And what happened? They were eradicated. Th those who were not yeah. driven underground were eradicated off the face of the earth yeah. and, and the colonies. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting, though, um, like in terms of like tech or even me misremembering what I saw was the the line of replicants in twenty forty nine are distinctly different than they aren't. Even Love says we were difficult to spot then because they're not now. People know. People know where they are supposed to be. There's different areas, you know, there's probably, and there's the whole, I mean, conjecture that who on earth is human versus who on earth is a replicant. We don't really even know. We don't know how many, I mean, Wallace talked about millions of replicants. Where are they? I mean, yes, I'm sure they're on planets, but a lot of them seem to be on earth as well. And they have the thing under their eye, like what else do they have? What other augmentation is going on? Um, and we're, we're, the the um, curtain is being pulled back on them, unlike we've ever seen before. Like I was saying earlier, in terms of walking through Wallace's uh, building, and you see them, the models sitting mm -hmm. in the whatever liquid or whatever that they're in. The vats. The the newborn comes falling out. You hear Wallace talking about them. They seem far more like tech and product than they did in the original film, where they felt more like people. The ancient models give the entire endeavor a bad name. What a gift, don't you think? From Mr. Wallace to the world. 
The outer colonies would never have flourished had he not bought Tyrell, revivified the technology. To say the least of what we do. Yeah, let's let's examine this whole section of the film because I think there's a ton there when Kay shows up to Wallace. There's the vats that he walks past. There's the vault that he goes into with love where they go through the memory orbs, etc. And then there's the newborn scene. There's a lot there. Um, the vats are really cool. And also, I remember them being one of the oldest images from 2049 because it was in the first preview and a lot of the like art they were showing us, right? Because we it was were also like, some of the first concept art that was done. Was mm -hmm. the interior of the and we were like, yeah. oh, is that an engineer from Alien? Is this yeah. connected to Alien? Right. I mean, I remember it was crazy back then, too. right? We were There's all this conjecture and we were, you know, figuring it out and trying to decide like- Look at that penis. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the dick. <laughs> and, and again, that concept of a duplicated form where uh, we saw a Sapper Morton style replicant in that vat, right? An and alpha, so you're like, Nexus 8 Alpha. An model. Alpha, right. sure. And so you're thinking, oh, like, how many did they build where you're not just recognize these because it's one of seven versions of it? And it's like, yeah, how many? You'd see Sapper Mortons all over the place, right? But a lot of them are off or not on Earth. Um, and when you're talking about pulling back the curtain, uh, and you guys can revisit all of this. I'm just going to throw out a couple of points there. Um, I find it interesting that again, they sort of left some ambiguity behind that curtain. So when they look through the memory orbs and love is pulling those out, it's designed to look like a physical piece of tech, but it's up to you to decide, is that something that was inside a replicant's brain or is that just an advanced way of how they store memory and that's just their version of a microchip or a, a SD card or whatever, right? And then we look back and see that it actually recorded conversation, right? They play back some of Deckard and Rachel's conversation. And again, by the end of it, you have more questions than answers because you're like, did they dissect the brain? Did they pull this out of someone? How the hell is it recording all the time? Is just everything they ever say to anyone recorded? Like we don't really know, right? We, there's conjecture, but we, that we were just shown that. Um, and then the newborn, and we can go back to any of this. And then the newborn scene, um, like Jamie said, it gives you this feeling of tech because it feels produced like out of a factory and all that. But there's all these details there like, um, you get the feeling that these things are being mass produced on a vast scale, right? And that there's just millions of them, which means that somewhere there's a huge production line where these things aren't coming out slowly out of a bag, like one every evening in this organ. Like that's obviously not how they're produced if there's that many of them. Plus I insist on a point that I made a long time ago that just logically makes sense to me that when Love talks to Wallace and says, would you like to see the new models or whatever he says, it's not like Wallace is watching every replicant being created. He would never have time to do that. So there's obviously something special about the newborn and what we find out from the dialogue and the plot. And so it's obvious that Wallace is being brought in to check on this particular new model because they're trying to create a replicant who can uh, be bred, who can, who has a viable womb and who's fertile. And when Wallace is using his um, special uh, eye augmentation and the little a little fish to look at her it's obvious from the conversation that he's disappointed then he murders her in that atrocious way because she's fallow and she can't have a baby right so it's obvious that they're working on that 
but again it's not like wallace has time to check on every single reference so anyways i talked about three different scenes there so you guys jump in wherever you like but i just wanted to get those out there because those are interesting ways in which the curtain gets pulled back but it's still kind of hazy back there and it's still left ambiguous in that beautiful style that we love that then even live and the writers hampton fancher uh, and michael green continued right yeah, Dan, thanks for taking us through the three, the three main things we need to talk about tonight. That was a big, that was a big, uh, a big leap. I want to go, if we can, to the last, I think it was the last point you were making. Yeah, rewind to whatever you like. Which I just was, wanted to. Okay, because I, I also forgot what the first one was. What was the first one that came up? The orbs. There was the orbs, the globules. Right. There was the orbs. There was the vats where all you the see vats, all the models. Right. And there and was the, the new birthing one. Okay. Scene. Yeah. So, so for me, the 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 a, a huge key to my perception of how they're manufactured, at least twenty four ninety nine, is the newborn scene, um, where Sally Sally Harmson, uh, who's fucking awesome and should be on this show at some point if we can track her down. The, the actress cool. who plays the newborn. I mean, she does an, an insanely good job with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was talking with Micah about that scene. Um, who needs to come back on the show, by the way, she, she wants to, but she works. I know it's been a long time. <laughs> she, she was talking about it, but she's been asleep for two hours. So one of these nights she's going to get back. She's going to stay up late. Um, but she has to save a lot of lives all day long. So, you know, it's, it's okay. Uh, so, so we were, we were talking, we were talking about <laughs> this performance and about how, uh, you know, it, it, it's, she seems so born, you know, the way, for one thing, the biggest clue of all to me, and it's not like clue, but her first breath is like exactly like the first aspiration that newborns have. Right. And, and as, as somebody who's been present at two live births now, like that is a moment you do not forget about the first moment that the baby comes out and they breathe on their own unassisted. It is like, for one thing, a very intense moment because you need it to happen, but it's also a moment of like, extra, I mean, it's like the, it's, it's maybe the most astonishing moment a human can experience, you know? Um, to, or be witness to. So, and in, in, so I don't, so my point being that like, I remember it very vividly and the way that she breathes in that, I feel like is very clearly trying to get across that same sense where she had been receiving all these supplemental, you know, fluidized oxygen or whatever she's, you know, using for staying alive in utero, you know, in, in bagarro as it were. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then she comes out and she has that <gasps> where she wakes mm-hmm. up and she, and she inhales all of a sudden, which to me feels like a very much like a natural birth. Right. And then as Jamie mentioned in the beginning, She's also covered in this fluid that almost looks like afterbirth. It looks like the, you know, what, what babies come out with. Um, and if, and she drops down, you know, feet first from a womb and, and falls down. And then when she gets up, it kind of reminds me of like all those nature documentaries that we saw as kids on like late night television where I don't know, I don't, maybe this is just me, but I feel like there was always a documentary on some channel, like late at night of animals, like having sex and then giving birth. And I was always like mortified mm. to be seeing this shit. I can't remember what they were called. Really? There was a whole series. I was fascinated of, by Oh my it. God. Oh my God. I do. I was, I, I don't know. I feel like I was traumatized. Like dolphins, like coming out, like fucking four oh, feet long. Out of dolphin mom vagina. Oh my God. It's traumatizing. <laughs> for, I don't know why. Um, but they like, for example, if you look at like giraffes when they come out, and Jamie, as a connoisseur of these videos, knows what I'm talking about. You ever seen an elephant be born? Oh, it's like dude, a fucking they're waterfall. Fucking crazy. <laughs> they are. They're so cute, though. The baby elephant. And they just fall like six feet. Yeah. Well, they fall like a bag I imagine of shit. that's yeah, like giraffes, especially right. Yeah. Well, so I'm specifically thinking of giraffes and other. So you have to be careful with biology now because we have a biologist who listens to the show. I don't want to like misuse any terms. <laughs> but the, the ways that that like, for example, ungulates when they are come out for like a think of like a camel, for example. That when they stand up, they do it like backwards the first time. Like they can't get their joints right. So they kind of they kind of like stand up sideways and they fall and they kind of like try to get up the other way and they fall and they kind of rotate around and their limbs are all twisted up. And then they kind of figure it out and they get up very, you know, shakingly, haltingly. 
Um, to me, Sally Harmson's physical performance there feels like I'm watching a camel being born or something, right? Because her arms are kind of twisted and she's trying to like move them and she kind of does this and she gets it out and then she gets up gradually and then she's, you know, shivering because she's freezing cold because she's now out in the open air. And, you know, anytime a baby is born, like the first thing you have to do is get the baby onto usually the mother's chest to get acclimated and to get warm. And then you get a fucking hat on that baby and a blanket as quickly as you can because they lose body heat like that, right? So the the filmmakers in 2049, I feel like we're very clearly trying to get across that at least these proto prototypal Nexus 9, uh, you know, uh, experimental ones were uh, being born individually in some sort of like a sack of some kind. And so that's why in the previous episode, I'm sort of basing my conception of replicant production on that image, which who knows if it's current or not. <laughs> Jamie's laughing about like what? Just the way he said sack was. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about animals having sex, you know. Sorry, sorry. Fucking reptiles left and right. Reptile Nexus Nine. Um, a lot of I'm my... writing. Down, I'm writing down editing notes. I'm like, take this out. I'm edit this episode <laughs> two minutes. Dance the box. tonight. <laughs> Uh, on the previous episode, like part of my conception of replicants being quote unquote born in some sort of an of a sack is that I was thinking in terms of uh, of what we see in 2049, which to me feels very much like a birth within some sort of uh, artificial membrane. And I sent you guys after we recorded last time um, a picture of a of a lamb being born in an artificial womb. Um, oh right, yes, remember that? I've seen that. That was yeah. cool. And this is something that that happens, right? So so if if like a, a lamb fetus is born you know, outside of it is, is gestated and brought to term outside of a mother. They do it in an, basically a translucent sack that looks to me exactly like the thing that the newborn falls out of in 2049. So that's kind of a really, I don't even remember how I got on that point. Oh, it's because Dan gave us the beautiful segue. That, that's, that's sort of my 2049 theory of, of production. It's interesting though. It's, but it, it also doesn't really answer unless they engineered and this goes back to a conversation we were having for the first film, how they got the um, serial number on, in the bones, things mm-hmm. like that. Like there's, mm-hmm. there are still questions. Like you said, they've pulled the, the curtain back a little bit, but they've also revealed new questions as well. Um, and then you have Staline who makes memories. How are those memories implanted? Yeah, into, oh, man. You know, like there's so much, there's so many levels to this, but to one point that you brought up, Dan, with the orbs, I always just thought the orbs were, documentation from uh, cameras and microphones that were in the Tyrell Corporation because they were a scientific... Yes, they produced, they were a manufacturing company, but they were also scientists and they were always recording... Um, oh, so you're assuming the recording and, is external, yeah, not, it was not internal. documentation, especially if Rachel was an experiment. They're going to record every bit of her interactions... Um, how she's responding. So those cameras and those microphones were going. So I assumed those orbs were just that documentation from that experiment. Yeah, a futuristic storage but, for... Yeah, who knows? But they also... Why are they contained? Like, how... how why are do they, they look like that, right? Yeah, why do they look like that? They look organic, almost. Maybe they came from... Maybe that Tyrell was a replicant and they were moved from... I don't know. Who knows? So many questions. Um, yeah, I was going to say to connect kind of our first episode to this one and in this evolution, it's interesting to think about does what we see in the birthing scene of the newborn show us that while the first film 
We don't know. They may have been assembled. They may have not. We talked about that, right? Meaning assembled out of parts. It seems the implication in 2049 is that if that were the case, they've advanced well past that because it, mm-hmm. it, based on coming out of that bag and the example Patrick brought up about the lamb, it seems like something that's grown, not assembled, right? But we also see two different ways of serial number tracking. Um, like the snake scale in the first film, which talking to Jackie about this, her opinion as a scientist is like, yeah, it's not possible. It would not be possible to design that as part of their DNA. That would have to be imprinted or marked or somehow stamped or something like that. It would have to be a physical thing. Let's, let's just go with that. And let's say that's true for the sake of argument. If Rachel's serial number was in her like hip bone or iliac crest or wherever it was, and you couldn't do that through DNA, then the implication is that it's a Westworld situation where this thing is being built one layer at a time. And at some point you would have the bone structure, you imprint that serial number on the bone, and then you continue with, you know, the nervous system and muscle and tissue and everything else. Whereas the eye takes away that whole process because there's no need to try and genetically engineer an eye to have a serial number, which again, based on science is kind of not plausible. You just stamp that with, I mean, a cattle prod, obviously not that it's more advanced, but some kind of system where you, you, you laser etch it in or you 3d print it in or whatever the case may be. So it's interesting, all these different technological advancements and what they imply as you go along, you can kind of like start crossing out certain things about what you're seeing now at this point in 2049, but it still leaves questions as to the progression and the development of that process. Right. Again, lots of for every question that's answered it, you you ask like five more questions in this process. You know, what's fascinating, though, and while you were talking, Dan, the word that they used in 2019, we, ha- we haven't discussed, but I think it's also used in 2049. A couple of different things. Kay asks Deckard about the dog. Is it real? I don't know. Ask him. Ask why him. Would, why, why? We don't question when... We meet people who say we're born from in vitro fertilization. Of course they're real. Um, I don't think you would have... There's something happening there where they're using this term. Why are they asking if something that might be grown in a womb is real? Why would it not be real if, in fact, it's... Like, I'm just... It's I, I, Not to say that you guys have the answers, but it's a question for all of us. Why do they use that terminology? And in 2019... She's looking under the micro- microphone. No, I think this is manufactured. Um, is it artificial? Microphone. Did, say, did you say, say microphone? Said microphone. <laughs> oh, microphone. <laughs> I found a reptile yeah. in microphones. Globules. Um, but she uses the term, uh, or the term artificial is used. The term manufactured is used. Why would they say, if, if we're looking at something that is from human DNA, flesh and blood, would it be artificial? No. So then why do they refer it as artificial? Or wait, don't you mean why would they ask if it's real? I thought that was the question. No. Yes, that too. Like all of these these words that they're using to describe what go, goes on in a snake or um, 
questions about the owl or questions about the dog in 2049, um, these words they're using are, are things real. We don't, we would not use, and I think I'm asking this question because it gets back to something that you said, Patrick, and we've discussed in terms of, are these things grown in a womb or are they born? Um, and even the naming, I think even in, in the, the art of Blade Runner or the art and soul of Blade Runner, they use the term newborn. Clearly they're trying to make, um, connections with yes it's an it's it's a newborn replicant and there's visual cues into that but there's things that they there's terminology that they use that suggest these things aren't fully organic or they might be synthetic but they're not fully synthetic or organic human material in my they the words kind of throw me off a little bit i don't know if they throw you guys off i mean they all have slightly different definitions I can answer one of those questions right away, at least in my opinion, when the word real being the most that could be taken more metaphorically, right? It's not a very specific question, uh, which is good because of course, Deckard responds later. I know what's real or, you know, K responds. I know what's real. They have that kind of Mm -hmm. conversation. So there's Mm -hmm. all, there's a metaphorical level to the term real. And there's also a, a physical term. In that particular instance, I don't think the question is very deep about the dog. He's literally just asking, is that an artificial dog or is it a natural dog? Which is interesting because when we bring animals into this uh, world, it takes us all the way back to Philip Dick and do androids dream. Because in in that world, the difference is way more stark. Uh, Deckard's sheep... That he ha- sorry is it a sheep or is it a goat i'm trying to remember what does he have upstairs a on the sheep. roof uh, and it's a is it it's a, goat? a lamb isn't it it's a li- i don't remember it's a lamb i think i, I think know. it is a sheep anyway it has like it a has panel like, in it yeah it has a panel and can, right yeah. and like and it's a reptile, and, <laughs> it's a reptile and, yeah. and a technician can show up and like open that panel and mess around with wiring you know and in the boom comics they actually show this so there's a distinct difference between real and artificial in animals there whereas by the world of blade Runner 2019 the first film only someone with an electron microscope who finds a serial number on a snake scale can tell that that snake is artificial. Uh, because when you look at Zora's snake, which of course is a is an actor, an actor snake, uh, her snake Precious, right? Was that the name of it? Yeah. I think that's the name of it. Um, that's obviously a real snake in real life, but the implication in the film is that you can't tell there is no difference. And she says, of, of course it's not real. Like how you think I'd be working in a place like this if I could afford a real snake, right? Um, so yeah, with the animals, it's always interesting because it cha- it, it brings it back to the original literature. Um, but then you get into the humans and the replicants and what is real and are you real? And now you're getting back to the root, the philosophical roots of this entire concept. And I think of what we find is really important about Blade Runner. Does any of this matter? How you're born? whether God created you, whether nature created you, whether you were made in a lab is real, a subjective thing. Can anyone be a human if they feel moral responsibility and empathy and implicate, you know, and of course the famous ending of the first film where the quote unquote artificial person is showing more empathy and the supposed real person is running around shooting people in the back or shooting replicants in the back. That's, that's one of the huge philosophical implications of these films. 
Yeah, there's a couple things in there I want to get to. I'm, I'm writing on my hand now because I feel like we're jumping around so much that I'm losing track of the points that I wanted to get back to. But these go back to two things you both have said. In terms of real, yeah, the first thing that hit me, Jamie, when you were talking was the book, like Dan was saying, because in, in that, like the, the nature of what's real and what's not real is very stark, right? There's commodities and those commodities are basically a signifier of wealth, just like wood is in 2049, right? If you can mm, afford a real, right. like a real convincing ostrich or something, then like you're doing pretty well for yourself, right? So, so there's that theme that was in Fancher's head and everybody else's head who was making the, 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 the screenplay and then subsequently the film, right? Um, but then uh, I think that, I think it goes on to become a greater thing uh, in, the, in the universe, which is it's basically a way to keep down the next level on the totem pole a little bit, right? And I think you see that when Mariette says, you know, you don't like real girls, right? Even though Mariette is saying that as a Nexus 8, um, or a Nexus 9, rather, or a Nexus 8. She's a Nexus 8. Oh, she's boy. a nine, right? You're gonna trip me up now. Eights... Is she a nine? Does she have behavioral inhibitors, or is she an underground eight? She's in the resistance, though. Maybe she was yeah, taken in by Mariette. That's why she's a nine. That was that was, quote unquote, radicalized, right? Yeah, I guess in this context, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, sure. Right. I, I, I guess. Ah, fuck. I'm going to go on a new point. I'm going to try oh, to make boy. it quick, though. So, so the baseline test, right, exists for a reason. Okay. I'm going to get back to the things in my hand. The baseline test exists because Nexus 9s have within them the capacity to no longer be behaviorally inhibited, right? If if Nexus 9s were fail-safe, you wouldn't need a test to make sure that they were still controllable, right? The whole thing with, with the baseline test is it measures emotional response. But the thing is that if your emotional response are outside of the parameters you're allowed to have an emotional response within, then you need to be retired, right? And the problem is that if the Nexus 9s start acting like the Nexus 8s that were rushed into production you know, 20 years earlier... 29 years earlier, then uh, then they need to be taken out of service because they're no longer controllable. So like it's clear that Nexus 9s have the capacity to do that. We see that with K in real time, but I think we also see it with the members of the resistance who are younger Nexus 9 models. I think Mariette is an example of that. I think she got you know pulled in with Frida and with some of the other replicants uh, on the street, and that's sort of what ended up happening. But my point being, going back for a minute, that um, the, the notion of real, like when she says you don't like real girls, she's saying that right as a quote unquote artificial girl within the realm of you know who's artificial and who's non-artificial depending on who's defining it, right? But she's saying that as a, as a tool of subjugation to Joy, right? Who right. in every other way feels just as human as any of the replicants do other than the fact that she's immaterial. She's composed out of light, right? So it's a way to kind of hold her back. And I think that the humans who are there are the Joshis of the world who are saying the world is built on a wall, right? And the thing separating us is the most important thing of all. And the thing that separates from Joshi's perspective, real from unreal, is the ability to procreate. So for me, that's that's the thing, right? So the world-breaking thing that she's afraid of is that replicants can suddenly create replicants on their own, which, of course, Wallace is deliberately trying to engineer, but Wallace is also doing this, you know, while Wallace has been playing the long game the entire time, right, by lying to the authorities about Nexus 9s, you know, and by lying that he had a game plan to keep them all subjugated when he's actually trying to liberate them somewhat under the guise of capitalism, he's trying to liberate them to be able to create as many of themselves as possible so that they can be, you know, they can go to new worlds. My point being, though, that I think the humans think that the replicants aren't real because they can't procreate. The replicants think that the holograms aren't real because they can't pick things up. And I think the holograms probably don't have anybody else to call unreal, and so they don't do it. But I think reality is something in the eye of the beholder. And I think that's, I mean... I don't want to get into philosophy, but that's something that you can, you know, if you look back on solipsism, you know, and other 
things like that's that's a thing people talk about all the time right that like what's real and what's unreal is defined largely by the person defining it in any given moment that reality is an inherently subjective concept in the first place and i mean that in terms of the fabric of reality but i also mean that in terms of who defines what's real and what's not real so there's that <laughs> then my other my other point on my hand we can go back to that if you want is the iliac crest so um so Dan, you're right that the you know the iliac crest etching is something, and and I think Jackie's completely right on this because you can't you know imprint that genetically into a bone. I think that that that's something that feels. Although of course Blade Runner doesn't take place in our universe; it takes place in a parallel universe. But in any universe, I think that that wouldn't make very much sense because of the way bone ossifies, etc. But but Rachel was the experimental prototype, right? Rachel was the Nexus 7 prototype who was experimental precisely not only because of her implanted memories, but more importantly to Tyrell because of her ability to procreate because she had a child, right? So what I assume happened was she was built or engineered or born, right? Implanted with memories and then operated upon in the area of her body where the iliac crest is, which is, of course, the womb, right? Right. That's so a I great point. As an adult, she was, as a quote-unquote adult, she was operated on and things were done in there to give her a viable uterus. And I think that then it was sealed up and her memory implants then overrode that. And so she had no idea that that had even happened to her. Well, and it could have, remember Jamie last episode was talking about how are these things woken up? It could have happened before she was woken up. They've yeah. completed, they've completed this model. They make an incision, sear in, laser in, etch in her number and whatever else maybe they were doing in terms of uh, procreation and stuff, seal it up. And it's very easy to uh, assume that in the future, they've already got like suture glue and stuff, like all that technology to cover up scars and make that stuff less invasive and less damaging um, is already here. So one could extrapolate that in that future, you could operate on someone who doesn't know they've been operated on and they wouldn't even have a scar. They wouldn't even know that it happened and they weren't awake for it. And they just think they're normal, just like she thinks her memories are normal and everything else. So she has no that's reason actually, to believe that anything had happened to her, right? That's a really interesting theory that I think fits better in the universe than to think that it's a Westworld situation where these things are 3d printed and built. So I, I really like that. That's a, that's a great um, suggestion. I'm glad I wrote it on my hand. so and also i'm thinking that you know as we come to a close here that the only two generations we know that have the intraocular implants the eights and the nines uh, when they see the iliac crest implant on rachel they recognize it as a replicant like even though she would probably have been the only one who had that if if this theory holds up that she was operated on blah, blah blah they still recognize that as as something that's a part of them. Like they see that she's a replicant because she has a number on her. And that if Tyrell were building Rachel as this, this experimental prototype of the Nexus model of the future, that part of that would mean that we were reg- I mean, think actually, you know what? Think about think about how fucked up that is, right? That like this this is like, and I don't even want to go into this territory too much, but you have a this male creator, right, who is creating a woman to procreate. And he's basically putting his initials on her womb, right? He's saying property of, right? So there's that, which is just super fucked up. Um, but it's also fucked up, though, that that was also his basically like proof of concept. Because after that, the 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 generations to come, the eights and the nines, both had serial numbers. And the other ones hadn't had that before. So like, in a lot of ways, Rachel was the gateway into what we see 
afterwards. And I think one of them was like registration. I think that when he was creating Rachel, he and his compatriots were probably already thinking we need a better way to control these things. We need to register them. We need to have serial numbers on them so we can recognize them. We can call them out and we can, you know, take them out of commission because we can't be having these guys coming back from Mars killing people. Like we can't be having these, you know, security incidents. And then they get the Nexus 8s out like right right away, like a year after the events of the first movie. And it's a mess, right? And they're all registered and it's just this horrible gulag and they're being hunted down and terminated left and right and they're insurrecting and it's this huge issue and and it's and I think in a lot of ways the tragedies that happen on Kalantha, the tragedies that happen with the lynchings, the tragedies that happen around the blackout, the tragedies that lead to what we see in 2049, you can see all of those notched on the Iliac crest of Rachel, who never knew what was happening to her, had no clue that that was in there. And yet that little kernel, that serial number was a signifier of so much subjugation to come. That was the first time we see, I'm going to make you, because it's interesting too. You know, we talked about just a minute ago, what's real and what's not real and about how from sort of my interpretation of it within Blade Runner, the reality comes from the way that they're procreated, right? That like the real ones that, you know, real beings can procreate and and unreal ones can't in Blade Runner. Um, To me, like that serial number was a way of saying, even though we're giving you the gift of life, like we're giving you the ability to create life on your own, that life is ours. We're putting our initials on it. Um, and it's a, you know, it, it never, it never struck me how disturbing that was, honestly, until talking about it right now, because that is a, a extraordinarily fucked up thing to do. And at all levels, these stories from both films, from all the shorts, from everything is about these living beings rebelling against that notion, regardless of how these manufacturers and these owners try and make that happen. Whether it's memories, whether it's a serial number, whether it's programming, whether it's inhibitors, at every step of the way, those things fail. Because in the end, we're seeing that life has a way of fighting back and people, you know, quote unquote, including replicants, have a way of wanting agency and wanting to show that they are real and that what they think matters and that their memories and their lives matter. And so all these stories show us that no matter what anybody tries to do, it's difficult, if not impossible to just permanently remove the agency from people. That's an interesting point you're making right here. And maybe we can continue this on if we feel like we need to wrap, but the one big question that hangs over all of this is okay so say you guys have friends or i have a friend or whatever and they're having a hard time having a baby so they go and they go to a a fertilization clinic or whatever and let's just say it's it's the future say whatever and say the woman can't carry the child so there's there's artificial wombs or whatever to do this for couples um we know when that baby's born, it's going to be born into the same rights that we have, into the same everything. There's not going to be any question. It's an American. Um, First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, all of those things. What happened in this world of Blade Runner where all of those rights were rescinded? What's going on with these things, with these replicants, where they can rescind those rights from these things? 
because if they were that's that's the the leap that I'm that I'm having trouble with like how are their rights rescinded as people why is Jack and Jill down the street if they have a baby but oh but if that baby is grown by Wallace that baby has no rights and in fact it is owned what what's happening here what what are they removing or adding or augmenting that makes these this race of whatever people whatever ineligible for all of the rights that you and I are are like that's the big question that I have something has to be uh, I would say there's two things there one you're operating under the presupposition that these human rights that like we have in America for let's talk about just the way American law works, that those still exist in the world of Blade Runner, which we never know for sure. There's like kind of illusions that maybe the government has fallen apart and government is more localized, but like, we don't know if the constitution still exists in this world. The only government we see is police. Yeah. Local police is all we see. Um, so I, I take your point, but I'm just saying in this futuristic world, it may be that even people don't really have a lot of those rights anymore. And then secondarily, it's interesting that, again, I'll bring up the Sophia example of the robot that was built in Saudi Arabia or the UAE. I can never remember. <laughs> Saudi that, Arabia. Saudi Arabia, thank you. That they like gave citizenship to, which I, I guess is kind of a fun novelty because there's no there there it's like if someone destroys that robot i don't think they're gonna be charged with murder um at this point in 2021 but um it's interesting that in that instance we've already moved in a direction of giving this thing that's obviously not a human some agency uh this has actually come up in courts with animals before uh the most recent example i can think of is the monkey that took a selfie and that animal rights activists were like trying, I forget the whole story, but they yeah, were trying this. to like sue the photographer saying that he didn't have rights to that photo because the monkey took the picture and the monkey had some kind of rights to that photo. But this has been brought up. If you, if you look at case law, like animals having rights in courts of law has been brought up several times and I forget all of the results. And sometimes that's shut down. And sometimes the courts actually do try and say, well, this animal does have some rights, but that's really interesting. A lot of it is dependent on politics and government. And it, yeah, a lot of these things that we think are inalienable and attached to us really depends on the status of government and, and the structure of our society which again is left ambiguous in this world. We don't a hundred percent know how much of that structure is left in this society. So there's an interesting philosophical point that Jamie's making, but there's also the nitty gritty of politics and government and stuff. And it's like, yeah, we, we, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know, but we do know that humans like, you know, whether it's in blackout or whatever, that humans can come and go as they please. There's no baseline test for them. There's no, none of those things that are in place for replicants. Yes. That humans have more rights than replicants. We don't know the extent of those rights, but we know that by comparison, humans retain more rights than replicants. That's so my question then is what was the conversation that suggested these are not human. We don't have to worry about it. I think that conversation never the, happened. I think that's that's the problem. I, I think yeah. I think what happened is they they started off as just you know. Go ahead, Jamie. You were going to say something. No, no. They, they, I was I, just going to go ahead. 
<laughs> I think that they start they started <laughs> off as like very clearly just commodities that were just assigned to a task and that were just probably manufactured. Um, like we talked about in the last episode, the seats and synthetics, right? Like the, 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 in isolation, like they were just like they were just robots to do housework, basically. And then I think as they became more like us and they became more sophisticated, it became a little bit harder to differentiate. But that was kind of the point. We wanted them to be like us. We wanted them to be capable and wanted them to fit in and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the conversation about rights was never brought into it because I don't think that they were having those conversations about people like Dan is alluding to. I, I, th I think that like rights were not a priority. I think that we're looking at uh, not a technocracy, but like a, a uh, almost like an oligarchy. We're looking at this, you know, uh, there's a better word than oligarchy for this, but for a system that's de that's defined by money and I don't know. It's, Autocracy? I don't know. No, it's it's late. I don't know, I don't know what it is. But my, my point being that this this is, it's so capitalist that like if you're not off world and you're still on world and you're a human, like you're either absurdly wealthy or wield absurd power or you are a complete, you know, untouchable. And I think that um, in terms of the, uh, I don't remember what my point was, but I, I guess my, my, oh yeah, my point being that like the humans that we see at least don't seem to have rights. And I think that it's hard if you are, either the denier of rights to people or the people whose rights are denied to the point where you have very little power at the table. It's hard for a conversation to happen there about what rights these products should be having because at the time and for a long time, they really were products. And indeed, even in 2049, there's their products. I mean, like, you know, love is taking K on a tour of the factory, right? Like, I mean, there's still commodities to them. The, the difference though, is these come that between a baby born, you know, in vitro fertilization or something and a replicant, you know, born, is uh, the baby doesn't have a serial number. Like the, the baby wasn't born to be a combat model off world, right? The baby was born to be the product of like a loving relationship and to grow up in a household and to not necessarily know about where they came from or thing. Like the baby was born to be a child who would have otherwise have been born through normal processes. Whereas a, uh, a, a replicant like was never intended for that. A replicant was intended to fulfill a, a niche, not by parents, but by a society that's building them somewhere or manufacturing them. So I think to me that uh, that's sort of the differentiation. Um, and then I think by the, by the time they get sophisticated, I mean, again, the Nexus 8s are kind of the linchpin of this whole thing because the Nexus 8s are the point where we have stopped imposing a lot of the strictures on them that we've been imposing on the previous generations. And so they are de facto human. I mean, they are fucking human at that point, right? Like they live as long as they can live. They do not have behavioral inhibitors. They can come and go as they please. They're just controlled by people like with guns. But they are so they're subject to like you know a, basically a, a rights denied existence. But those rights are denied the same way rights are denied to people in this world that we live in in this universe every single day, all across the planet, you know. Um, and I think that like it's again it's a tool that's of true. subjugation. I, I think that that's yeah. the thing, and, and I think that it's a society that was not set up to have those conversations. And so they never realized it was appropriate to, instead of that, yeah. they keep running from it. Right. It's like the yeah. same thing that we do when we realize that, you know, that we're going to die someday, you know, like a lot of people get trapped in this thing where they go like, Oh, I'm not going to die. Like I'm it's not going to happen to me. And, and they just sort of deny it and deny it and deny it. And you get this really unhealthy relationship with death. And then, you know, somebody you love dies or, or you are faced with your own mortality and it's an incomprehensible thing because you haven't been thinking about it. Right. It's something real. I think that the rights being denied like that they were running from that they were saying they were saying these are commodities these are commodities these are commodities these are controllable these are controllable these are controllable even though they look like me and even though they talk like me and even though they have life and lived experiences there's still something that we're building and selling there's still something we're building and selling let's just control them more let's just control them more let's just abuse them more let's just inhibit them more 
And then eventually it falls apart on them because that's what all those things do. And they have that wake up call with the blackout. And then their response to that, of course, is to just double down on what they had been doing and to control them even more, control them even more. And I think that, I think it's a society that is fundamentally unhealthy and fundamentally unfit to be bringing life into the world under the circumstances that they're doing it. You know, it's along the same lines of what you're talking about. I That story that comes to mind is, did you ever see the documentary about the triplets who were separate at birth in New York? No, I've heard discoveries? about it. I've heard about it. Yeah, I didn't see it. Um, so some doctor somewhere thought, let's do an experiment. And they decided to raise these identical triplets in separate homes, split them up. Um, and of course it was the, the damage was devastating. That's crazy. But even, even in that, this is the, that's, those are um, shades of that same type of society where someone made a decision that the, the interests of these children didn't matter to the interests of science. So it, I, I totally agree. Like I, it, it makes sense. It does. I think I, I look at it from a moralistic, how could you do this? But then we also live with corporations that do horrible things to people all the time and they get away with it decade after decade after decade because they're all powerful and they make money for governments. So, and they do all they can. My, my own naivete. Well, and, and as somebody who works with these corporations a lot and, 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 and a nonprofit who does a ton of advocacy and influencing and antagonism with a lot of these corporations, like they will get away with it if they can and they will lie about it if they can and they will continue to do that until they're put in the light and they look horrible all of a sudden. But there are huge companies out there around the world who sit at the tables with, you know, like we talked about just last night with Philip Kennedy Johnson on, on Perfect Organism. Like there are people in this world who run mega corporations and they sit at the same tables as presidents around the world and they are on a first name basis with them, right? And they can navigate the world in this untouchable space that no degree of advocacy or influencing or support for people who are being horribly maltreated can can rectify. And it's it's a it's a horrible thing that is in our actual universe. And so imagine in this parallel universe where things are even worse, what those people would be doing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it makes sense to me. It's, and it's tragic. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, we are going to continue this conversation. We really would love to hear your feedback. What are your thoughts on replicants? Some of the questions that we talked about, moralistic questions, questions of rights, how are they built? Um, all of those things, we really, really would love to hear what you guys think so we can discuss them on our show. Um, so if you were moving this conversation into our discussion group, Fields of Calantha, which is administrated by our friend Rick, Rick Howard, who I'm sure you've seen. So please uh, feel free to respond on the, on the post that we make, and we will do our best to read as many in our next episode to address them, to discuss them. And, uh, I'll give it to you, Dan. Yeah, so that was a great discussion. Um, if you, you know, again, we wanted to reach out and thank all of our patrons who've been contributing to the show um, financially and have been helping us with you know, upgrading equipment. You might notice the quality of our audio has gotten better. That's all a process that we've been doing through everyone's help. So thank you to all our patrons. Uh, we've had a lot of new ones. And through the pandemic, people have continued to support us. We wanted to announce real quick that because we're just doing a lot more work, we're going to start covering video games a little bit on our Patreon, uh, on our Framerate show, which already does two films a month where we just we go through and pick random films that we want to review and talk about. So March 1st, uh, our, our normal first tier is $2 a month. 
that's going to go up to $4 a month, March 1st, because we're going to provide more content, but um, our patrons and anybody else who signs up before March 1st is still going to get charged two bucks a month and they're going to get grandfathered in. So we're not going to raise the price on our already existing uh, tier one patrons. So if you ever thought about signing up, helping us out and you want to hear more film discussion and again even video games the last of us two episode that we did was really popular and many many people many patrons asked us to review more video games so me and patrick are probably going to do a bit of that um you can go to our the support pages on our websites and sign up and again if you do it before march 1st you can grandfather yourself in at two bucks a month less than a price of a cup of coffee and i promise you you're gonna get a lot of really good content from it um patrick where they where can they go do that you know bladeburnerpodcast.com forward slash support or perfectorganism.com forward slash support and when you do pay special attention because we've revamped both of those sections and with uh they look great and we've been hard at work on that uh, and there's a lot waiting for you at those websites so check them out and we just created, finally, I don't know why it took so long to do this, our RSS feed. So uh, there's, I, I added a link, so if you don't know what that is, it explains it. But basically, you can copy the link and add our frame rate feed directly to your podcatcher. So you won't have to go to Patreon to listen anymore or use some other player. You can just add it directly, and it'll be like a brand new podcast feed. And we have already over 40 films on that list from Lawrence of Arabia to Terminator 1 versus Terminator 2, all kinds. So check it out. And thanks, everyone, for your support. And we'll talk to you soon. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.